The music is provided by Calvary Quartet. You can have more of their music at calvaryquartet.com or log on to our website at gospelbaptistchurch.com. I can still recall the day when Jesus saved my soul, when his blessed Holy Spirit came and took control. I trusted in his precious blood, my sin to atone, and I started singing. First place, the better the grace, is the title of the message today. The worse the place, the better the grace. We also have a pastor here uh, that's on vacation, and, and uh, I appreciate our brother coming here, and, and I hope you go away blessed and encouraged and rested. And I told him, I said, uh, if he looked in the mirror real close, he'd probably see a target on him. Tat- we don't believe in tattoos, but I believe people who live for God have a target tattooed on them invisibly. And the devil's out after us. But there is a God in heaven. I like Daniel. There's a God in heaven that cares about the affairs of men. Take your Bibles to Romans chapter 5. And I'm going to read a few verses there. Verse 18 through 21. Romans chapter 5. The worse the place, the better the grace. You may want to know why bad things happen to good people. Well, God's going to help you understand, I think, through this passage. In this passage of Romans 5, what a profound, you talk about profundity, you talk about depth. What he's explaining here is not known, and he not explained it like this. Therefore, as by the offense of one, and you know who that was, don't you? Adam and Eve. Adam specifically, because even though Eve was the first one to eat the fruit, Adam was the responsible one. Men, if your marriage messes up, God's going to hold you as the responsible one. Do you have that? You have that? That's right. Say amen. All the men said? No, you say, oh, me. But really, as the head, you're responsible. The buck stops here. I've been to Truman Library. Uh, he has a he took his office from Washington D.C. and he duplicated it in this library. The same carpet, same everything Truman had. Same desks, same everything. How many have been to the Truman Library? You verify that. And on the desk it says there's a, there's a thing there that says the buck stops here. I like that. He was a man that understood responsibility. You're responsible. I mean, you can share your responsibility with your wife. But you cannot replace it and give it to her. You're the one responsible. So you came for that, and that was worth coming for. Therefore, as by one offense, oh, the offense of one, judgment came upon all men to condemnation. Even so, by the righteousness of one, the free gift came upon how many? Okay. Uh, all men under justification of life. Now, the Calvinists would like you to say that all don't mean all. But I was raised in kind of a simplistic environment where words meant what they said and said what they meant. And God that is a communicator of all language knows how to talk, you think. And when he says all, he means all. 
Every human that ever took a breath could be saved by the blood of Jesus Christ that was shed on Calvary. It's enough. He died for the sins of every man that ever lived and shed his blood, and it propitiated God for those sins. But they just need to say yes. So our job is that we got the good news that you can be forgiven of all your sins and be, and be reconciled to God and have peace with God through Jesus, through faith in Jesus Christ, death, burial, and resurrection. What a great message we have. What a privilege we have. That's our prime directive. That's what we're supposed to do. The price has been paid. The Son has come. He has risen from the dead. Now we just go out there and tell people that good news. That Christ died for them according to the Scriptures. He was buried and rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. For as by one man's... Oh, by the way, I didn't finish that. The free gift came upon all men under justification of life, being declared not guilty in God. Wow. Someday, you know, as a Christian, you're going to get presented unblameable. Unblameable? Now, if you want to know something bad about me, you go to my wife and say, do you know anything bad about Bill? She has a list that she has tried to forget but cannot. But praise the Lord, God has the ability of forever forgetfulness. God says, I will remember their sin no more twice in the book of Hebrews. In the Old Testament, he says, I've put your sins as far as the east is from the west. And that's a long way, brother. And he says, I buried them behind my back and in the deepest sea. Glory to God. You say, things are going bad for me. Not if you're born again Christian and you have your sins forgiven. For as by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners. So by the, dis, by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. There's a parallel in there. Adam, Jesus, Adam, Jesus. Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound. You ought to underline that, mark that, and, and score that under Put that in your Bible and, and do something. Because people want to know why the Mosaic Law came. The poor souls who want to go back under the Mosaic Law need to read this carefully. He says, the Mosaic law came that the offense might abound. But where sin abounded, and it did surely abound under the Mosaic law, how many of you get convicted when you read the Mosaic law? I know I get convicted. I've probably broken in spirit every one of the Ten Commandments. In spirit. I'm guilty before the law, brother. I stand before the law absolutely condemned as a sinner outside of the will of God and have no business around him. But, by, but through Jesus Christ, who died and paid for my sins, now has made me accepted in the beloved. Glory to God. I may just have a spell. Accepted in the beloved. He said the law came that you might appear exceedingly sinful, but where sin abounded, what happened? Grace did much more abound, that as sin hath reigned unto death, even so might grace reign through righteousness unto eternal life by Jesus Christ our Lord. Do you know grace is reigning in your life as a born-again believer now? The law is not reigning. Grace is reigning now. We need to be encouraged when things get real bad in our lives as Christians. When things go real bad, the fact, you may say, man, 
Things have turned, I'm not talking about your personal choice of sin. I mean, you'd be ashamed of that. But I'm talking about things that out of your control go bad in your life. You may say, oh, preacher, things have gone awful for me. Get excited. Why? 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 12 and 13 says, Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you as though some strange things happened unto you, but rejoice. What? When things get darker, get badder, if I may use bad English, get worse, we're supposed to rejoice. That's just not natural. That's just not natural. But if you know God and the way he works, it is unnatural, supernatural, if I may say it that way. He says, rejoice in so much as you're partakers of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory shall be revealed, ye may be glad also with exceeding joy. In other words, the darkness of the moment will eventually burst forth in a light so bright it'll blind you. The glory of Christ in your life as you take it patiently. The truth's clear here. The darker the night, the brighter the light. When things get tough, the tough get going. When fiery trials come, the grace of God comes too. When sufferings of Christ come, God's reward always follows. The worse the place, the better the grace. But we're a stubborn folk. We're stubborn. We try to make it on our own. Our own power, own intelligence, own strength, own cunning, own wisdom, if possible. But God wants us to get to trust Him. He wants us to trust in His power, His intelligence, His strength, His cunning, His wisdom, rather than in ours. But it's hard. It's hard. We sometimes see no other way. And then all of a sudden we get down to the bottom and we get thrown on our backs and we got no further down to go. And our last resort is we turn to God. Well, man, that's where he's wanted you to go from day one. I'm starting to get this. I'm starting to get this. When things start going bad, I, I immediately turn to God and say, I'm, I got it. I got the lesson. You can take this stuff away now. I got it. We cry out for him for help. We look up. We approach him. In Hebrews 4.14, it says, Seeing then you have a high, great high priest that has passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. For we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted, like as we are, yet without sin. Then it says again something to you and me for us to do. Let us therefore, because of that, let us come boldly under the throne of grace that we may receive what? Mercy and find grace to help in time, in good times. No, we may find grace to help in time of need. It's the bad times that brings the grace of God to your life. Boy, the reason some Christians have not seen the mighty power of God's grace in their life is they've never really been in a very dark place where they've turned to God for help, where they've, they've tried to dig themselves out. They've tried to turn to self-help books, positive thinking, positive imaging, psychology, prescription antidepressants, alcohol, drugs, pornography, immorality, just plain out fun-seeking. 
you know there's a group of people out there that ought to be in church? I'm not talking about people on vacation. But there's a group of people out there that ought to be in church today that out, they're out there seeking fun and things and thrills to try to somehow uh, fill the void that only God can fill. They're trying everything. They're trying drugs. They're trying, they're trying immorality. They're trying every kind of fun, every kind of game, every kind of video game. They, there's people, there's men. I'm, I'm hearing wives coming to me and saying, my husband stays up to two in the morning playing video games. God forbid, if he stayed up reading his Bible, I'd be for it. God's waiting to show himself strong in your behalf. He really is. If you'll not cave in, give up, rely on the world, the flesh, and the devil to help you. If you'll seek him first and him only, diligently, with all your heart, the grace of God will follow that. Woo! And grace of God's good. God's riches at Christ's expense, the power, uh, the desire and power to do the will of God, however you want to find grace. Grace is unmerited favor. It's, it's something you that you don't deserve that you're going to get. Mercy, I deserve it, but I don't get it. But grace, I don't deserve it, but I get it. Romans 5.20 says, Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound, where sin abounded, there did grace much more abound. By Adam's sin was opened up upon all that followed him. It was sin even without the Mosaic law. You know, Adam's way before the Mosaic law. Abraham, 2166 B.C., I don't know, you know, I take Usher's uh, book, he wrote about that thick, the guy spent his whole life doing calculating dates, I take his dates for it, 2166 B.C. for Abraham, Moses I take at 1446 B.C., that's about 700 years anyway you want to cook it between the two, uh, you know, Abraham was the father of all that believe, that's what the Bible says, amen, Moses, he's the, he's the, the, the law of Moses is equated with the law of God. God used Moses to give his law on Mount Sinai. You remember that, amen? But Moses had to be justified by the faith that Abraham had because nobody's ever been justified by the law. The Jews failed in that they began to worship the system which was there to show them how exceedingly sinful they were so that they would flee to the sacrificial system which was foreshadowing the Christ that was to come. So if you put it this way, the Jews were given the law to show themselves how sinful they were so that they would use the system which foreshadowed the Christ that was to come. They looked forward to the Christ that was to come. We as Christians 2,000 years down the road, actually forward almost 3,400 years down the road, we, uh, by the grace of God, look back on Jesus Christ and by faith, once we realize that we're sinners without hope, eh, unable to save ourselves, we look back on Christ. It's all a perspective difference. Abraham was justified by faith and it was counted to him for righteousness. Bill Lytell, when he bowed his heart to Jesus Christ and accepted him as his Savior, I, by faith, trusted in Christ and it was counted to me for righteousness. The Old Testament saints were saved by faith in the Christ that was to come. The New Testament saints, saints are saved by faith in the Christ that already has come. How many people in heaven? Those saved by faith. There won't be one person in heaven saved by the law. Shame on the people. This, this brother here, Brother Tom, used to be, used to be and was very nobly 
our music director for many years, uh, was raised Seventh-day Adventist where they try to go back and pick the law up and say you got to live by the law of Moses to be saved. Duh! Nobody ever lived by the law of Moses. James said if you offend the law in one point, you're guilty of all. James chapter 2, verse 10. How many times you got to steal to be a thief? Don't take a genius once. How many times you got to lie to be a liar? Once. How many times you got to dishonor your mom and dad? Once. How many times you got to take the name of the Lord God in vain, carelessly? Once. Man, how many times you got to look on a woman lust after before you commit adultery? Once. How many times you got to covet your neighbor's stuff and wish it was yours? Once. How many times you got to hate somebody and be a murderer? Once. Folks, you violated the law front to back, side to side. We stand condemned by the law. Man, I don't want to flee to the law. I flee to the law. It condemns me a sinner unable to save myself. But what it does, it gets real dark, doesn't it? You read the law, it gets real dark. The worse the place, the better the grace. Then I turned to Jesus who died for me and bought my salvation, purchased it, satisfied the claims of the law that I had to die for my sins. Everybody that ever sins has to shed their blood and die for their sins, or they can trust in Christ who already did it. There's only two groups of people. There's going to be a group of people stand before Jesus Christ at the great white throne judgment who are trusting in themselves or some religion or false religion or work or some imagination of men to save them. It's not going to work because the one who saved them is going to be their judge and he's going to condemn them in a place called hell. Whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast in a lake of fire. That's what it says. Revelation chapter 20, verse 15. 14, 15. Or... You're going to be of the group that stands before Jesus Christ at the great at the at the ooh the bema seat of Christ, and according to the First Corinthians chapter three, you're going to be Second Corinthians. I think it's Second Corinthians chapter three actually. You're going to stand before Him, and you're going to have all your works. Every work should be made manifest for the day shall declare it, for it should be revealed by fire. The fire should try every man's work of what sort or quality it is. And the fire will burn your works, whether it be wood, hay, and stubble, gold, silver, precious stones. And what's left will be those things which were done for Jesus in reality that only God could know. The Bible says that you'll either receive a reward or suffer loss, but your soul will be saved even if it's as by fire and you have no reward to go to heaven with. I've had people come up to me and say, Preacher, I don't care if I get a reward in heaven, I just want to go to heaven. You're a fool. You're a fool. You care about reward now. Otherwise, go to your employer tomorrow and say, I enjoy working so much, I don't even want a paycheck. Your employer will go, I'm on it. No, you want a paycheck. You, you want, you work, you get paid. God says, you serve me and I'm going to, in fact, he guarantees you, he, he'll command a blessing upon you. You can't escape it. You can't get away from it. Well, God wants to help us. Man, I like the verse that says, By Him all that believe are justified from all things from which you could not be justified by the law of Moses. The law, law, according to Romans chapter 7, just, holy, and good. The commandment, just, holy, and good. Nothing wrong with it. God wrote it. And it was a schoolmaster to bring us to Christ. But now that we're in Christ, 
We're no longer under that schoolmaster. We're no longer up under that law. We're under the bigger law, a more thorough law, the law of grace, the law of liberty called in the Bible. Now, if you love me, Jesus said, keep my commandments. What are Jesus' commandments? There's about 127 of them that I've been able to identify and that other people have been able to identify, at least 127 commandments. Do you know them? If I was you, I'd get familiar with them. Jesus said, you're my friend if you do whatsoever I command you. Well, if you don't know them, how are you going to be his friend? Because you won't know what they are and you won't know how to do them. You need to learn the commandments of Christ. Well, basically, just read the New Testament and read the Old Testament. Read it over and over and over. I like the words that says, sing them over again to me, wonderful words of life. Oh, let me more of their beauty see wonderful words of life. Read the Bible. Put this book in your mind and in your heart, and the Word of God will come out, and it'll grow. It's like miracle grow to the soul. I have some plants at my house. Once in a while, they don't want to bloom. I know we have an organic farmer here, educated and degreed, so just like that doctor over there, just humor me. But I get a plant once in a while, I don't want to, don't want to bloom. Oh, I go down to the store, and I say, I want 50%, that middle number. You know how they do three numbers? They do like the nitrogen is a number, then they do the phosphorus is a number, then the potash is another I said, I want that middle number right there, about 50%. They go, whoa, okay. So they go get me some of that stuff, and it may be like 10, 50, 10. And so you take that and mix that old concoction up. Don't overdo it too much, but mix it up a little bit. Put that on that plant and set back that plant and go. And it'll bloom. You can force a bloom on a plant. I didn't know that. You can force a bloom. You can take an orange tree and where it would normally just produce a little bit, you can put that kind of stuff on there and it'll triple its bloom. Now, I'm not saying it's going to be good. I don't know the taste of oranges. Don't, you didn't get that from me. But brother, the word of God, the more you put this in you and on you, you'll just kind of go, you'll force a bloom by the grace of God. It'll force you to produce fruit. The Word of God, wherever it goes, produces fruit. My Word will not return to me void. It'll accomplish that which I send it to do. I can tell you the problem with the average Christian today, anywhere I meet them, is a lack of understanding and a lack of knowing what God simply wants them to do and to live. They've read everything else. They've played every other kind of game. They've watched millions of hours, it seems like, of TV. They have a movie and Netflix in their home and HBO and all these other things. But they, you say, have you read the book? You know, I'm having a hard time reading through. I'm having a hard time finding the time. Okay. My dad used to say a profound statement, but I hated it. I hated it. I hated it. Every time he said it, I hated it. But he used to say it over and over again. It reminds, comes in my mind over and over. A man will do what he wants to do. Wait a minute. I feel like I just want to beat my head against the wall. A man will do what he wants. You know, we come up with some of the best looking, sounding excuses for not doing what God wants us to do. But the truth is, you don't want to. You don't want to. 
If you wanted, you know yourself enough that if you want to do something, you will do it. Brother Tom uh, Cronin confessed a uh, confession to me, which now I'll confess to you. <laughs> a few years ago, Brother Tom, we were talking about Honda Goldwing coming out with an automatic. Not a shifter, but an automatic. And if you know a motorcycle, it gets pretty wearisome when you're going through those twisties to upshift, downshift, upshift, downshift, upshift. It's tourism. And Tom said, boy, I'll tell you what, if Honda came out with an automatic, I'd buy one. But he said, I, I have no money. I don't have the money to do it. I can't do it. I'm financially, I can't do it. But I'd find a way. Because he says, in my life, I usually get what I want. That was the honest truth of every one of you. You pretty much get what you if you want it bad enough. Because we get, we, a man will do what he wants to do. A man will do what he wants to do. And I'll tell you, you want to you wanna know God? You want a fellowship with Him on high? You can do it. The door's open. Even though it gets dark, and the closer I've gotten to God, the harder things have come into my life. It's an irony. That sometimes the closer you walk with God, the deeper the tragedies, the harder the trials. But it makes sense. The Bible says that, he, I think it's 1 Corinthians 10, 13, there's no temptation taking you which is common to man. But God is faithful. Who will not tempt you above that which you're able? But will with the temptation make also a way of escape, right? Makes sense? Now, so here's the scenario. He'll not tempt you Something you're not able to pass. Does that make sense? Okay. So when you get more, you mature in Christ, you grow in Christ, you, you become more like Him, it makes sense that the temptations get deeper, harder, darker. Because you, but remember, God who allows the temptation will not allow it if you can't pass it. You've been God, if, don't, if you get anything out of this, God is faithful. And will not tempt you above that which you're able. But will with that temptation make a way of escape. You will find that when dark things come into your life, they're not too big for you. As a born again believer. They're not going to overcome you unless you succumb and seek other ways than God. But if it drives you to God, if that trial drives you to God, He will give you a way of escape and you will come out on the other side, but you'll be changed into His image. <laughs> you'll be more like Him. In some minute way, you'll be more like Christ. You say, Brother Bill, I would like that without any suffering. <laughs> Everybody would, but you're not going to get it. You're not going to get it. You're not going to get it without the suffering that comes along. The darker the place, the worse the place, the greater the grace. God has, wants to turn on His light on you, make grace better. But He's going to try you. Not any of us get out of this thing without being tried. You're not going to walk through the Christian life like a merry, oh, I'm happy, happy. Oh, everybody else got tried. I didn't know. You're going to get it. God's going to come and try you. And, and it reminds me when Greta, when Gre 
Greta said, Greta called me and said, probably with or without your permission, I have no idea. But Greta Speaks called me up and she says, I'm going to get my bus license and drive a bus. Well, man, you couldn't encourage me anymore other than telling me that I had just won the lottery. And I never bought a ticket. I never bought a ticket lottery. I voted against it. It's hypocritical to buy a ticket. Well, it got quiet in here, didn't it? But anyway, uh, but I never bought a ticket. But if I found a ticket and it was a winner, I'd cash it in and tithe on it. But I wouldn't buy a ticket, brother. I wouldn't buy a ticket. Greta called me and says, I'm going I'm to get my license and be in the bus ministry. I, I had a little spell. Glory to God, I called my wife up. I said, Greta Speaks is going to drive the bus. I mean, Pam Hughes and Greta Speaks, and these women are getting behind these bus ministry. They want to drive it, and it's going to be a good thing. Then she got the news. Boom. Maturity. That's what that's all about. Yeah, I want to do something for God. God says, yes, but with this comes a trial. But you know what? You're going to pass. And you're going to be more like Jesus on that trial. The only difference between the Old Testament and the New Testament is their perspective of Christ on the cross. You and I look back on that old cross, like I said. There'll be no one in heaven but those that are saved by grace. One man plunged a whole mankind into darkness, and one man, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, offers the world a way out this morning. If you've come among us and you're looking for a way out, a cure for a guilty conscience and a heavy heart, and your feeling of alienation to God, you've come to the right place. Adam threw you into that, but Jesus Christ can take you out of it if you'll trust him by simple childlike faith, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost. It says in Romans chapter 4, verse 5, to him that worketh not, but believeth in him that justifieth the ungodly, his faith shall be counted for righteousness. You know what I love about it? The law made everybody guilty so God could shed grace on everybody. Everybody's guilty under the law. That puts us all in one boat. And that makes it the grace of God then goes to everybody without exception. You can be saved here. You People have said to me in the past, Brother Bill, I can't be saved because I've done things you don't know. Man, I've done things so terrible, so hideous, so awful. Only I and a few other people know. Oh, I said, oh, the worse the sinner, the greater the Savior. I said, they, I knocked one day on a door, and I've told this over and over again. A woman came to the door, and she says, I've been a stripper. I've done things that were so abominable in my life. I couldn't be saved. I said, oh, Jesus, what a privilege it was for me to tell her, oh, Jesus died for you. Mary Magdalene. Amen. Don't you like the fact that Mary Magdalene was one of the first women at the tomb? She was a bad girl. She, has, she had seven demons. She didn't have one demon. She had seven. I've met a few like that. I think I, once in a while I meet one with eight or nine. I don't know. But she had, she had seven demons Jesus cast out of that woman. And yet God used her mightily. Remember the woman in John chapter 8 that was caught in the very act of adultery? 
Now, if a woman was caught in the very act of adultery, i got to just reason with you, they caught the man too, amen? Now, wait a minute. You can't have adultery without a man, right? Well, here we are in the same sex group again. No, yes, I guess today you can. But you can have immorality. But in her case, it was a man. And if you caught a woman in the act, then he was there. But you know, they favored so... uh, 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 favored men and favored what they were doing. They didn't. They let the man go. And that was unrighteous. And God knew it was unrighteous. And there was no way he was going to condemn her without the man. The Bible says in the book of law that both of them were to be stoned. And he says, but remember what he said. He never justifies sin. God never, never condones sin. He says, go and sin no more. The blind man, he said, go and sin no more. Let's worst thing come upon you. That's a warning, isn't it? But God will forgive you if you'll come in a tender spirit broken before Him. The law entered that sin may appear exceedingly sinful. The crazier the world, the darker the sins, the bitter the grace of God appears. The, this same sex ruling we had in, in the in the uh, Supreme Court is awful. It's bad, but I'm excited because the grace of God is going to be released as these things get darker. The, the grace of God shines brighter through you and through me. Our testimony becomes more distinct. Yeah, we're going to get an opportunity by the grace of God, possibly to suffer for His sake. And all the Christians said, most of us are like, I don't want to suffer, preacher. If you thought that in that suffering people would be saved, would you? Would you? If you thought in that suffering people would be encouraged as Christians, would you? You better prepare yourself because that's the way God produces through his people. I like it. The darker the place, the worse the place, the better the grace. I hope you did this morning you've realized that no amount of good works could satisfy the justice of God. No amount of good works, no amount of good behavior, no amount of communion, membership, or any of that could help you if it's outside of your faith in Jesus as your personal Savior. I hope that you... Jesus said this way, his sermon to his folks was repent or perish. John the Baptist said repent or perish. I hope this morning every one of you in the sound of my voice has repented. That's a change of mind, a change of direction. I used to live for myself and my my own world and the lust of the flesh, the, the lust of the eyes and the pride of life. And now I cast myself at the feet of the Lord Jesus Christ and ask him to be my savior and may his blood propitiate for me. I don't use all them big words at the beginning. Of course you don't. Jesus, save me. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. One real theological, was it? It was enough. It was enough. The night gets darker, dear Christian. Trials, tribulations, pain, sickness, loss gets real. Grace is coming. Grace is coming. God's grace is on its way. He will deliver you. I love that song. Where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. Father, we pray that you'd anoint the words of God that were spoken. 
strike from the memory anything that was different, anything that would contradict what you would want, Father, from the memory of these dear people. But have them remember those things which were from heaven. We pray, Father, that the Spirit of God may go up and down these rows and up and down these folks. These folks represent a myriad of stories and of lives and diversity. We pray that there be one, two, three that may be in this auditorium this morning that knows not Christ as their personal Savior. May they say with all their heart, I want to be saved, preacher. I want to know Jesus. I want to have my sins forgiven. I believe that he died. I believe he shed his blood. I believe he resurrected physically, visibly, bodily from the grave. And I want, to, I want to ask Him to be my Savior. Would you be willing to come and let us know in a moment as we begin to play the invitation song? Why don't you make your way up front? Let one of us talk to you. One of us pray with you. We'll take you to a room in the back here by the grace of God and just simply explain to you what was simply explained to us. Oh, don't leave here without Christ. Maybe you're a Christian. You've fallen away. You've let something bad, that bad came into your life. You got angry with God. You got bitter at God. You didn't understand how God was growing you. You didn't understand that God uses these things to grow you in Christ. You got bitter. Why don't you ask forgiveness? Why don't you forgive God? Why don't you ask Him to forgive you? And why don't you throw your faith and trust in a, in a loving and kind Savior who gave himself for you. Why don't you do that? Whatever the need. Father, we pray that you'd anoint in Jesus' name. Amen. All the praise belongs to him who died on Calvary. Jesus gave his life a ransom that we could be free. Oh, sinner, come to him today. Too late, I